0: Press play. Curtain up and now we're in. It's time to take in the shade and tea to spill. Ooh, drama. Oh, that's a tweet. Did they book? Who got on The option? No, oh, I'm not well. What star will we talk to today? Oh, that's a gag, honey. Say no more. Drama.
1: Drama. drama.
0: Welcome to drama, a podcast that covers theater. Pop culture.
1: Love and life. I am Connor McDowell and I am Dylan McDowell. Connor, this feels like the perfect chat to have. You know, three days ago, we just touched back down in the States back from our trip to London.
0: I know. Oh my God. I cannot wait to get into it. We're going to have, well, our listeners will already have heard a full London breakdown episode about our trip, everything we got to do, people we met, things we got to see, especially the shows we saw, including and Juliet on the West end. Well, of
1: course. But I know this, this feels right. I am Mm -hmm. stoked. How are you done? It's been a struggle adjusting to the time change. I still feel like I'm on, London time, or what do they what do they call it over there? I don't even know what this. GMT, GMT. GMT. Ooh, okay, I like that.
0: Um, I know. I feel like I was fine the first day, and then that I was back, and now jet lag is randomly hitting me like day two and three. It's so weird. I
1: think it's actually set my body right because now I actually get up at the right time and go to bed <laughs> at a good time because my body thinks it's the right bedtime. But anyways, I have immersed myself in a TV series to just relax and shut my brain off. The traders. You sold me on it, actually.
0: Yeah, I, I was so obsessed with it and I knew that I wanted to finish it before we left. So I did it in like three days in a sort of fugue state. So <laughs> my memory of
1: it might not be completely accurate, but are you not obsessed? I, I need to find a way to watch the UK version because it was so brilliant. It's sort of like that game Mafia that everyone was playing for a while. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It was so good, so dramatic. Ellen Cumming is the perfect host for a TV series like that. Mm, he was giving. He was. I loved all his outfits. I loved like the Scottish influences, but I mostly loved the celebrity appearances from people that we love, like Brandy Glanville from The Real Housewives of Beverly Oh my
0: God. Brandy, Cody Calafiore, Kyle Cook from Summer House, even like Ari from The Bachelor. I was like, this is the most random group of people. I know. It was amazing. And you're all done. Are you pleased with
1: how it ended? I don't want to spoil I'm it. I'm very pleased with how it ended. Mm-hmm. It's interesting how it will go in the future because I feel like all someone really smart has to do is watch one season of it and then kind of realize how to play the game. So mm-hmm. maybe it'll evolve and and adapt. As the well, year's but we're
0: getting a reunion. Andy Cohen is going to do a full Traders reunion, which I am so obsessed with. I can't wait. I know, that's so I fun. Literally, I can't wait to see Brandy and Kate getting down to it. I'm, I'm wondering if he's going to ask why didn't anyone suspect the person who won? I guess not to spoil I it know. too much but no one ever based on her history of other I reality know. shows had any suspicion towards her which I think it makes her a brilliant person to play these games but yeah I loved totally. it I can't wait I heard you can watch the UK version on what's that site where you can like rip content and put it on as like videos oh wow it sounds like, illegal it's like how you used to be able to watch like before the streaming era it's how you could watch like legally blonde the surf of the next Style woods or daily motion daily motion daily motion oh yeah, yeah yeah that's how we used to watch x factor uk over here
1: oh yes yes yeah. yes period <laughs> oh my god was I- our queen cheryl cole dropped the polls just cheryl now
0: that's right back when she was judging okay
1: so dylan it's time we got to bring our guests it's in. time legendary legend as you mentioned we saw Anne Juliet across the pond but before we did we got to see it on Broadway. So in and, and the essence of this guest we have today is very much in the, the fabric of the show. And I think it is just so cool that they they did started it over and across the pond and now they're doing it here on Broadway. But we need to there's so much more to this guest and oh, yes. we'll get into it. And I also must say that we spoke with our friend Stark Sands about her beforehand. And he said, you guys are going to have a laugh. Our guest is fucking perfect, y'all. You surely know her as the scene-stealing supernova Angelique, also known as the nurse in Anne Juliet, a role she is currently starring in as her bra. debut. The same role won her critical acclaim in The West End where she originated the part and received a 2019 What's On Stage awards nod for Best Supporting Actress in a Musical. She memorably portrayed Mrs. Phelps, the loving librarian in Matilda Across the Pond as well as Mrs. Corey in Mary Poppins. Other West End main stage performances include Madame Morrible in Wicked, Madame Ternadier in Les Miserables and Daddy Cool. Her range is exquisite including turns into pantomime dick whittington clear water breakfast at tiffany's the lorax ragtime fiddler on the roof romeo and juliet white christmas guys and dolls ma rainey's black bottom the sunshine boys and more telly viewers will know her from casualty and eastenders she's also a former radio personality calypso and soca singer and true icon please welcome to drama melanie, melanie Labrie. Labrie. <laughs>
2: But you know, <laughs> um, when I hear my CV kind of like read read to me like that, uh, one I'm astounded because that that I even got a chance to do so m- many of those things and and to be in those shows that maybe you know in a world that we live in now I would probably not get a chance to be in um mm. or to in some of those things to to be the first person that looks like me to be able to touch those roles on the West End, um, and that I feel really grateful that I got the opportunity to do all of that as well. But it also makes me feel old. <laughs> no, 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 no.
0: <laughs> oh my God. You are overflowing with youth and stunning, a fountain of youth energy, for sure. But
2: somebody should tell my hips. <laughs> <laughs>
1: You know I, in many ways I feel like you're just getting started like the, you're having a moment right now maybe it's that you've kind of transferred over here to the states and we're all if we hadn't already fallen in love with you starting to fall in love with you now but you just have this infectious energy about you Melanie it's so so lovely to meet you
2: well it certainly does feel it's so strange i'm i'm nearly 50 okay. you know young people i'm nearly 50 and it's <laughs> uh it's so nice to do things for the first time when you're nearly 50. Mm. I hope everybody has that experience as they go up in whatever age bracket, that you always get to do things for the first time. And this is my Broadway debut. I have never been here before. Even though I've made brand new musicals that have transferred to Broadway, I have never been here before. And when I tell you, it is, I'm like, I'm, I am like a baby. I am like a baby. And so it does feel as if I'm at, yes, at the start of something, or at least I hope at the start of something. Because you never know, this is a fickle industry. And, you know, as much as so they could love you one day and then spit you out with the old news the next day. But I'm enjoying every minute of just being here right now, you know?
1: Absolutely. Oh, and we're, we're the better for it. It has it truly been such a magical Broadway season having you as a part of it. When I heard that you were coming over with the show as the only cast member that was transferring with, the, with it, it felt right. And we'll get into all of that. We'll talk about Anjulia. We'll, we'll talk about your entire career that we just kind of mentioned. But we do sort of like to kind of just check in with our guests just as we kick off the podcast. And I am curious. Are you well?
2: I am so well. I, you know, I have good health. Even though all of January, I was sick like a dog with the seasonal flu.
0: (laughs) No. It
2: went on and on and on. And I was like, still. both Paolo and I, we were both just like sniffling on each other every day. (laughs) (laughs) And, but he's so beautifully trained that it didn't affect his voice. And I was just there croaking and squeaking and grunting at the people on on the Sondheim stage. But it was fun. Um, But I am... I, I have good health, I have good mental health. That's something I think I, I am blessed with. I'm blessed with good resilience. I think maybe I put all my trauma, I, I didn't put it, but you know, all my trauma was placed at the beginning of my life. <laughs> so, and so it made me exceedingly resilient and strong, not like, uh, not, not rigid not like a board, because a board can still break, but strong in the way that I can be flexible and malleable enough to mold myself into different situations and to accept what is uh, I said before that I'm I'm an existentialist with a with a small e. I'm not a big existentialist. I do love I love philosophy. I don't understand half of it, but I love to read it because I love to challenge myself. But I'm an existentialist with a small e in that I I do believe in the isness of things. And even when things are going poorly, I believe that yes, it's life is shit. Life life is systemically shit for a lot of people. You know, I'm a black female immigrant. You know that. I've won the trifecta of shitness. <laughs> in, in some in some cases, one can think that. But if that is the isness of it, my job is to accept it and learn to live in it. Not learn to live with it, you know, in a kind of like, well, that's just the way that it is. And I can't, can't do anything to improve it. No, I have learned to live in it. Hmm and then see how can I thrive in it. And so I have in that way, I have good mental health because I am real and accepting and I find joy in in small, small moments and that keeps me well.
0: Wow. <laughs> I love it. I, I need to adopt your mindset about life. I feel like I'm always worried about everything all the time, like little, you know, anxieties about I'm always doing the checklist in my head of oh my God, did I remember to lock the door or you know, mm-hmm. all that. So I, I, I wanna take some of that energy, Melanie.
2: But that you're at the age to worry. That is what that is your job. As young people, that is quite literally your job. And the thing about this is that my generation didn't do a great job of leaving a great world for you. So mm. we left you plenty to worry about. So that is quite literally your job. My wish for you is that by the time you get to my age That you know where to put that anxiety. The anxiety doesn't go away. I am, you know, on occasion sad because, you know, my partner and I, we go everywhere together. But now that I'm in New York, you know, I kind of, he has to be at home sometimes and he has to come here. And so I'm sad about that. But I understand it. So I hope that when you get to my age, you don't get rid of the anxiety and the sadness and the worry and the fear, but you know where to put it and you know how Mm. to deal with it.
1: Melanie, where did you, where did you adopt this from? I mean, you mentioned that you, you might've had some experiences early on in life, but was there like a role model or a relative or somebody who was able to sort of- A nurse. (laughs) A nurse. (laughs) Yeah, to give you these nuggets.
2: I had, I had great teachers. Mm -hmm. I had, first of all, I had, excellent mothers i have both a mother and a stepmother my stepmother sadly passed away in the middle of last year at the start of this and juliet new york journey um i'm sorry and so thank you but she lived a full and wondrous. she was like 94 when she passed and so she lived a full and wondrous and beautiful life and i have a healthy mother um who herself pulled herself out of Uh, circumstances that one might have described as disadvantages and now she's like dean of the college of education in university of houston clear lake and you know it's like i have achieving women in my family yes i have excellent teachers who were kind to me because i was a strange kid i didn't have a lot of friends you know i was like a like a weirdo and and i used to go hang out with my teachers a lot and they were always kind, and they let me do it. Um, so I learned kindness there.
0: But like Matilda with her librarian.
2: Like Matilda with her librarian, yeah. I had, you know, I had my chemistry teacher, my biology teacher, you know, that I would just go and sit in the labs in my free time because I I didn't know how to be cool, and I'm still to this day not cool. <laughs> I do not know. I don't know how to be fashionable. I don't know how to be cool. I, and I never knew. Like never knew how to do that. And so I would just go and sit with my teachers and they were like, they were incredibly kind and open and they just let me be as well. I found the other day in like, you know, boxes of old papers and whatnot, a recommendation letter from one of my old high school teachers. And they, it was so funny because I am still that person. You know, it says, Melanie is a serious child and she doesn't make <laughs> friends easily. And she and I was like, yeah, correct. That is.
1: <laughs> that surprises me. Yeah.
2: But I also, I read a lot as well. And uh, poets like Maya Angelou, great authors and uh, social figures. And, and they were very important to me. Um, my Angelo, quite literally, I could pull out a My Angelo quote for almost anything (laughs) (laughs) because I I, I was My Angelo was like my spiritual mother, Mm. you know. But I've also been obsessed by things like the Muppets and Sesame Street.
1: Oh, I love that!
2: And Jim Henson, who is my hero of all heroes, and I think my touchstone in terms of the person that I wanted to be in this world, somebody who could bring joy and magic and make things that allow people to create together and make things that it wasn't just for me, but it was for everybody who came after me. I always say that whatever it is I do is not for me, but for those who come after. Mm. And so, yeah, so that's where I think that's where I got it from. Long oh answers my God. only. I talk a lot. <laughs> we love it.
1: There's so that. much there that I want to dig into. That's that's so beautiful. Um, it's funny you mentioned The Muppets. Connor and I love The Muppets Christmas Carol. That's like one of our yearly staples that we watch every holiday season.
2: It's the greatest performance given by an actor ever in, in Michael Caine. Like, oh, I yeah. I don't care what, like, I don't care. You you could do whatever, what Shawshank Redemption, you could call all the movies, you know. <laughs> But but Michael Caine gives the performance of a lifetime in Muppet mm-hmm. Christmas Carol, and I when it comes to the Christmas season, I get to December first, and I watch Muppet Christmas Carol every day.
0: <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh, I love it. It's so that, spe- <laughs> you're right. He's giving like the most empathetic performance ever against puppets. He's got it.
2: But those puppets are like they're iconic as mm-hmm. well, and. And they're everything, you know. The, what I love about how they made those puppets is that those puppets represented us and parts of us, but in a big form, you know. So you know the the kindness and empathy of Kermit, the mm-hmm. extravagance and and presence of Miss Piggy, the 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 bravado and the courage and the they have always pushing forward of gonzo and the the awkwardness and 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 doubt of fuzzy bear you know i and wanting to be loved and and it's like they took apart the human emotional experience and imbued imbued every muppet with that and showed people through those little furry felt characters how you could still love those parts of yourself mm. Don't stop me on the Muppets. You know, I'll tell you, we were be here for hours. <laughs> Listen,
1: <laughs> that's so special. I love, I love that. It. I love that you, you you're still in touch with that as well. You know, it shows that like it's for everybody. It kind of reminds me of, I'm going to be talking about London forever. Connor and I just got back, as we mentioned, it was the best time ever. We saw a pantomime for the first time. It was Mother Goose with Ian McKellen and... uh, John Bishop. John Bishop as well.
2: You saw saw, like the mother of all pantomimes there.
1: It was everything. (laughs) And it was like, wow, this is for everybody. But the jokes, you know, are geared a certain way that the adults are loving it, but the kids are mesmerized and... I wish there was something like that over here in the States because I think we could really use it over here. But it's it's so... It, I think the British sensibility is what makes it, though, over there. So it's tough.
2: Yeah, I think it is a great tradition. and I had never done a pantomime until in the pandemic. The pandemic oh. was the first time I had ever done... I had been asked to do a pantomime before, but sadly I was always busy with other things. Um, and you work hard in a pantomime. Oh, sure. You know, like sometimes, you know, the, these people... These performers are like booking three shows a day. Children are screaming at you at 10 o'clock in the morning. I'm like, uh uh-uh. uh. I don't have children. There's a reason. Yeah. <laughs> 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 and, uh, and then we did this pantomime at the National Theater in, in 2020 and only got to do four performances of it because we got shut down again.
0: <laughs> no. Oh, that's right. You guys went into a second lockdown, right? Yes. <laughs> oh, oh, my God. No. Was it, were the four performances you got to do very fun?
2: It was great, but the thing about it is that they were like our preview. So we were still changing things every day. And then we knew that this shutdown was coming, I think like on the third day and the National Theater with their excellent people and excellent resources jumped to and filmed our last performance. Mm -hmm. And what they did was streamed it every day for people to be able to watch it, so people oh. could watch it at the National Theatre, um, at home website. and and that was kind of fun. That was that was really fun that they were able to do that. But we were, like, we was, st- I, I ran on stage in my big bell costume and fell right over <laughs> on the first day. I, you know, so so it was. The- still working it out, you know, with, like, a battery pack because the the skirt was, like, light up and a big, heavy battery pack underneath. And we were, like, changing lines and, you know, trying to play a ball game. And it was, like, so weird because Pantomime is about interacting with the audience, but this was in the middle of the pandemic. So, first of all, the seats were all spaced, like, 12,000 feet apart. Mm. Uh, so you were performing for like 20 people in a big Olivia theater. <laughs> and then, you know, places where you would have the kids come up on stage, right. you know, to do things. You couldn't do that. So you just uh. had people like screaming at you. <laughs> <laughs> i was like this is so it was so weird
0: <laughs> i'm so glad that we're passed those days
1: you know <laughs> like, we did what we had to do but my god
2: <laughs> we did i did some work in the past. i mean it was so funny is that i, I managed to put five credits on missy during the pandemic wow. because wow. it was great because people were like we would like trying to make stuff and try to you know uh, stream things and make streaming theater and i remember going back to the old vic to do the lorax Oh, yes. But we went down, which I was in the first time around, the very first time that we made it at the Old Vic. Um, and, but we did it with like a skeleton cast in an empty theater. We were streaming it live. So it was, you know, we wow. were performing live every night and streaming it. But they had cameras set up all over the place. And we didn't have any costumes because the costumes were, I think, were over here because they were planning to try to do the Lorax over here. And we were like running with these makeshift, cardboard puppets and, and running up and on this big old theater, trying to find, (laughs) you know, where the next camera shot was, and crawling underneath other people. I tell you, this was a, it was a weird time. But it's kind of like, also interesting, because I could say that I did that.
0: Yeah. (laughs) You know, you were doing you had to do to work to feel creatively fulfilled, and also to bring joy to people who are stuck at home. So we
2: absolutely needed it. I think I think that's one of the Grounding principles of Aunt Juliet. And I think Mm -hmm. it's why we're doing so well uh, on Broadway right now. We we had an extremely beautiful, um, busy January. And February looks no different so far. Um, People need a little bit of joy and spectacle. We have all the things. Yes, we have all the social stories and all the pure, beautiful, deep, meaningful moments but we also just bring light and joy and and there is nothing more joyous than paolo shot dancing to the backstreet boys (laughs) i'm gonna tell you That awesome. alone is worth the price of the ticket on board.
0: <laughs> yes. I was going to say. That's why I want to come back. I mean, <laughs> now you've been attached to this project for years. Now you're doing it on Broadway. Is that what keeps it fresh and exciting for you every night to do it? Is the, the, the way you're bringing joy to audiences and to each other on stage? Or is there something else that helps you every single night go back and be like, I'm going to slay Angelique again?
2: It is part of my practice. You know, you talk about the skills of being an actor, and one of the skills of being an actor, especially when you do commercial musical theatre, which I do, um, is is having to come every night and tell a good story, mm. um, and and you have to is about doing all the things well, and about being truthful and and being honest about where you are. And, and doing that mm. every night for the audience. So that, first of all, has to be in the actor's toolkit because sometimes you come here tired. You know, you do something during the day or, you know, or, or like during the month of January and I had a, a tr- things with my throat and, you know, still had to sing. I don't know about sleep. I am not the kind of person, I never sleep. I, do, I don't know how to sleep. I know how to tell the truth. That's, that's all I know how to do It's like, I, you know, I always say to people, I was like, I don't think of myself as a singer. I'm not, I don't sing. My voice is, it's so weird and odd. It's such a weird, odd voice, but it's my voice. So I like it, (laughs) you know, but it is part of the the things that I use to tell the story. So I might crack on a note or croak here and there, but I'm like, I don't care because that's how the nurse sounds today. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Yes. Oh, I love that.
2: So that's you just use the tools that you you use everything you have that on that day to tell that story every day.
0: Yeah. Sure. I mean, you are phenomenal in the show. I it was actually during the early days of the pandemic that we finally listened to the cast recording of *Anne Juliet, of course, the West End version, which is incredible. And we had like Cassidy Jansen on our podcast. We had Jordan Luke Gage on the show and we just could not get enough of talking about and consuming *Anne Juliet content. You're such a standout. And that speech you give at the end, oh my God. And when you sing perfect, it's just beyond Yeah.
1: love
2: that speech at the end wasn't in the original script so it 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 didn't come until about three weeks into rehearsal for manchester it it, it just wasn't there and david sure. west reed went away and he came back and he said i realized that after since you've been gone and you say that little line after what do you want from me we don't really hear from the nurse until after the wedding and he said <laughs> i just i i felt like you know we we wanted to hear what you think and what what you had to say and he brought that speech in and I remember sitting on um, on a little exercise mat in Three Mill studio outside the rehearsal room with Anna Fox, who's our associate director, international associate director, Anna Juliet. And um, and just with the three of us just reading it. And I read it in, in exactly the same way that I say it now,
1: uh, <laughs> with great
2: speed, because I was like, oh, this yeah. is a lot of text and I am old. And if I have to <laughs> learn this, I need to like say it quickly. And um <laughs> But I think, you know, by that time, we had spent so much time together, David was Reed and I, you know, we because I was in the first UK workshop in 2017, and then we workshopped oh. it again in 2018, and then again in 2019, before we started rehearsal. So we'd spent a lot of time together. So David had gotten used to the way that I speak and the person that I am. So the speech is, in, he's so smart, He's so, so smart. And he wrote that thing as if I wrote it, you know, he used everything, uh, you know, from the rhythms, from the repetition, from the, the escalation. Uh, Cause that is definitely me, you know, things yeah. can just get bigger and bigger and bigger. The more time you spend with me. <laughs> <laughs> and he literally, and he wrote that. I, I think he wrote it with me in mind. And so I'm, I feel very grateful. It's one of the best set of texts that has ever come out of my mouth.
1: <laughs> yes. <laughs> and, you you nail it, and it's I mean the audience just went nuts after that line. It's I, I'd imagine it's a similar reaction often. And then when we saw it just recently, the the woman who was playing the nurse got a similar reaction. Melinda Melinda Paris. Paris,
2: that? that's right, that's my. Oh, sister. and she was terrific
1: as well. You know, it was just. And but that blueprint of what you left on that role is certainly there. And so I think that's really cool. Have you gotten to go back and see it?
2: I did when I when we had a little rest after Toronto. So I was back home in September and Lorna came to visit London and stayed with me for a couple of days and we went to see Anne Juliet. So I was able to introduce her to Miriam, which was really nice for them to know each other. Um Miriam is my daughter from home and Lona uh-huh. is daughter here. And it was nice for them to be able to spend time together there, you know, and and for them to to share the the burden of the role because it's a big old role. Mm. You know, it's a big, big thing and a lot is asked of them, vocally and emotionally and physically. And and they do it every night and they, and with such grace and maturity and they make it look easy every time and and so it was nice for them to be able to spend that time and the thing about it is that when i was leaving and juliet cuz i was leaving and juliet you done <laughs> in <laughs> september we came back we reopened the show and they said are you going to stay on after march march was my march 23rd was my last show and i said no Absolutely not. I have done this show. I have to go off and try and do other things. Sure. And I called my friend, Melinda, and I said, you have to come and do this show because Melinda has done every part that I have created in the West End. <laughs> 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 so I said, "Girl, I am, and I put her name, I said to Anna Fox, I said, have you all seen Melinda Paris? They said, no. I said, you have to see her. You have to see her. Now, they had had a plan for when I was leaving. Um, my, my other sister, Kiala, was coming in yes. for a few months, and and Kiala, of course, was associated with the show, because Kiala did one of the first workshops here of oh. Aunt Juliet. Yes! I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. So she is part of the Aunt Juliet family, too. So they said, well, this would be great for her to come into the show, seeing that she was associated with it. And of course, you know, she's a humongous star, and <laughs> was an Excellentness.
1: Oh, great.
2: Excellentness. Uh, I mean, just so sweet, beautiful, joyous. God, God sang, sing <laughs> the thing down. And, uh, like, you know, they got what they could never get from me with, oh. with Kiala and Melinda. But I, and so Kiala did it for a few times, and then things happened, and I had to come here. And um I was in Trinidad and Tobago doing some stuff to be able to come to New York. And, um, and also seeing my family, and I get a phone call, and it's Miss Melinda saying, Mel, it finally happened. I am going into this show. And I could not be happier that the people, the three people who have played the nurse so far in London, and, you know, so far, because we have a new nurse now going in down in Australia.
1: Oh, exciting.
2: Yes. And so, but for me, that those three people are people who are so dear and close to me, and so phenomenal. I couldn't be prouder or happier. And that's what I say, that the things that I make is not for me, it's for everybody coming after me. And so for my girl, Melinda, to be up there to smash the granny out of it, I'm like, yes.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, she did. She was perfect. I thought the whole cast was amazing. We were also so happy to be able to see Miriam and Cassidy and Oliver Thompson, who we were talking about beforehand dreamiest guy ever over there and then we've got stark another dreamboat here in the states this show just has the recipe is right they the, the team always finds the right people to capture the, the essence of these different roles what is it like working with stark
2: i love stark so much i love Stark. like he's such he's such a kind and generous soul just a beautiful human being a great leader great great leader of the company and of men in general, yes. but also he's such a great pal, you know, and it it's so nice to, to have that closeness with him in, in, you know, Oliver Thompson is my buddy, like <laughs> literally, you know, he, my friend, friend, we've known each other for decades. Oh, wow. As a matter of fact, the first time I met Oli, we were doing a concert together. I think it was 2002 or something. Or 2001. I can't even remember. And the first time I heard him sing, I wanted to take my bra off and throw it at him. (laughs) 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 I am so glad that I did not do that because we became friends. Very good friends. <laughs> after. And that would have been embarrassing. But but that is that voice. I mean, Oliver is something else. He is yeah. something else. And Oliver and Stark are so similar in, in, in just their presentation in life. They're both f- devout family men. They both have two kids in the same composition. They have an older boy and a younger girl. Like, literally, almost nearly the same ages. Wow. Um, and they both have the same work ethic, the way that they uh, the, uh, approach the work and approach the show. They have the same kind of stamina. You can't get stuck Sands off of the show for love nor money. Like, <laughs> I'm like, how? How are you doing this? It was the same with Ollie back at home. It's just like, you cannot get rid of them. They just they have voices of steel and they keep going and they have great fun. They know how to have fun on stage, but they know how to be uh, how to hold the company together if something is getting difficult. They know how to be leaders through that. Um, yeah, it's Stark is is terrific, and it, and I am so pleased that they were able to get somebody like him to play the very very difficult. And sometimes thankless rule of Shakespeare. Yeah. <laughs>
0: totally. True. Totally. True. Do you find that American audiences are reacting differently to the show than everyone who was seeing it on the West End?
2: Uh, we so jokes work better here. I think David Westreed is a North American writer, and so he understands North American humor. And so some of the things just like really, really, really super work here. And some of the things work less well, you know, like I Yeah. You know. There are things, you know, that I would say that would get uproarous laughter in UK that Mm -hmm. will get a a good laughter here. You know, so is so there's also that and there's also that to contend with because, you know, I have to say, okay well, that's you know, that's different. Sure. Yeah. they, They do respond really differently, but also weirdly similarly. And that's the mm. thing, Is like, you know, like, I remember when we first started, when I first started doing it over here and, you know, walk on to the set and you go, oh yeah, this is similar. And then everybody would start to speak in American accents and go, I know, <laughs> but it's different.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that was surprising to me. We were, we were surprised. I thought everyone was going to use British accents or, or their, you know, native accent for the show. So I was surprised, but it. It, once you see it, it works. I, I have to admit, I do love. I did love the British accents on the West yes. End. But I, I do love an accent. <laughs> Who doesn't? Who doesn't?
2: I'm glad they didn't do because then, to me, that you know, whenever you're working in an accent, and Paul Paulo has to contend with it because he's Brazilian <laughs> doing a French accent, and I'm like, right. for you, <laughs> you know. Um, and but when you're working in an accent, you know, it's an extra layer of thought, and it's all—it's so hard on in theater because you know it's it's a constant thing that you have to like put on the skin that you have to put on Mm -hmm. um which is very different than in film you know because in film you could kind of you do it in parts and so you if you're working in an accent you can kind of live in it and breathe in it for for a brief moment and and then you know but when you're doing it for two and a half hours it's an extra layer of thought and so for me that the fact that they don't have to think about it right they just they just get to tell the truth whatever the truth is on the page they get to tell right. the truth and I, I kind of love that
1: that's great yeah there's that line where they say we're not doing accents and then he goes we're not doing accents that landed better over in in America than I'd, I'd say it did over on the west end because mm. it was it was you know there's sort of that wink of we're not doing accents like that you might have expected us to but
2: yeah it lands brilliantly here unless you're David Bordello. <laughs> can tell a joke. Uh, David padella was my original land, right. and David padella could tell a joke. There is, you know, I mean, he is so such a fine actor, and and just understand he understands language, and like Paolo, I get to work with all these like honey voiced men, you know, know. when they oh speak and they all just rumbling at me. I'm like, who, who?
1: Paulo is magical. We we saw him do. Uh... Chicago last year like over a year ago and oh he, yeah he charmed the pants off of the you know even though it's that's that role it, he's amazing and then he's wearing the cod piece and *Anne Juliet it's <laughs> I'm ready to take my bra off no, mm-hmm. that far, you know what I mean? anyways <laughs> um have you ever had to ditch your native accent for something have as a role ever asked or a company or anything like that ever made you I have
2: a- occasion. Yeah. Yes, um when I did wicked I, I did RP in wicked and um okay. and when I was in Les Misérables I had a kind of cockney accent. I'm terrible okay. at accents. Um <laughs> <laughs> I often insist on working in my own accent because a lot of people get to. Mm-hmm. And yes. there are more than 2 accents in the world and I feel that it is my responsibility to make people understand that, wow, um, yes. that you can make a part and it really doesn't, un- unless it's, It's you know, if like something's written for people in Sheffield, I don't expect myself to be turning up in a Trinidadian accent for a play set and you know, at, at that it's important that all the people are from Sheffield. Or if you, yeah. you know, writing about miners in Yorkshire, I don't expect myself to turn up with a Trinidadian accent there. But if the world is wide and the world as written is wide, then I don't see why I wouldn't have my own accent. Uh, you know, I've made the great British musicals. <laughs> yeah,
0: <laughs> you,
2: know? you have, and, and you I've have. made them in my own accent a lot of the time too. Is is because they want me to be other. They want me to stand apart from the rest of the people in show. Um, mm. So for Mary Poppins, I was playing a magical character, and for um, Mrs. Phelps, I was um, I. They wanted a safe place for Matilda to go that didn't sound like her school or her home, mm. and so um, and there is a warmth, there is a warmth to my accent because it's from a oh, sunny, yes. hot place. So you know that, that comes that comes with it as well. So they, you know, often when they want somebody to feel safe, they would say, "No, please carry on in, in your own accent."
1: Oh, that's great. I, I really respect that. Yeah. Speaking of Trinidad, you know, obviously where you grew up and, and and learned your love of music and the arts and everything we do like to sort of tap into that period of your life, or it might be a later period where we call it the ring of keys moment where you sort of had this realization that pursuing a life in the arts was what was the path you were going to take. Do you feel as though you had that moment?
2: I was always going to be in the arts. I think I, I would, so i was kind of like as i said i was a weird child and a kind of a nerd but i was also incredibly precocious with the people i felt safe with so i would perform on tables at three years old and make my family sit and watch because (laughs) you know because uh, what else is she going to do i had a vast imagination (laughs) um for me it was the calypsonians the, okay. the Calypsonians like Sparrow and Kitchener and Lord Melody and David Rudder and and Calypso Rose. They were such extraordinary storytellers. Uh, the Mighty Duke, Tambu, I, you know, just great. And especially David Rudder. Like David Rudder, who was the person who then wrote my first song and album, which catapulted me into fame in trinidad and tobago so i was 16 young years age, old right yeah okay yes, yeah I was, so i started oh. singing calypso when i was eight because i wanted to be a storyteller like the calypsonians and calypso is very different to soca so soca is like the party music it's kind of the is the music that you would hear on tiktok now okay. that's soca music <laughs> right okay okay um but calypso it's often concerned with this social and political landscape of the world and they would give a social and political commentary um so you had to be a really good storyteller and for me I always wanted to be an actor I didn't know how to get into acting because I grew up on the wrong side of the tracks mm. in terms of the socio-economic status so I didn't go to drama clubs or or anything like that as a matter of fact I never studied drama I didn't even do it I didn't go to university for theater because it just, it wasn't my path as to in terms of study, but it was sure. always going to be my path in terms of my life. Mm. Um, and I wanted to tell stories. And so the way to tell stories was to become a Calypsonian. And I had a little oh. voice I could hold a little tune. I love words. I love words. I love being able to uh, to make people listen to words that that create stories in their heads. And then in terms of theater, I remember going to see a play. and There was an actor called Errol Jones. I think the play was Hathaway and he was playing like this God that was a to Hathaway, who was this Cuban chief. And he appeared in the first half of the play as this little tiny mouse and this is this big black man, but like he made himself so small and he was like quite, you know, um, really mischievous like a kind of low-key type character mm. and then he came out in the second half and I revealed himself as this great god and he had this massive booming voice and the surprise that that took me by i i was like people could do this so not only did did i see that you could tell stories but you could transform yourself to be able to tell these stories and that never left me that performance mm. went inside my skin and lived there rent free for all 48 years of my life Wow um, and I so that yeah that that was my that was my my starting moment where I went I want to be able to transform myself and tell stories to transport other people to places that they didn't even realize they could go
0: Wow wow beautiful do you do you feel like you can pinpoint one or two different... Experiences that you've had where you felt creatively fulfilled by having that experience yourself on stage or performing?
2: I remember the first time Marini entered my body because I was rehearsals are wasted on me. Because I use rehearsals to find out <laughs> where I have to stand and what you know what the cues where what the lights. I, I use rehearsals in a very technical way. But in terms of creating parts, I wait I always say I wait for them to arrive.
1: Ooh
0: drama
2: no I just said it's
0: like it's like a possession
2: yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I wait for them to kind of turn up um and the moment that Ma Rainey entered my skin and I remember I don't it probably wasn't even in the first few performances but I remember I because she comes in like about 40 minutes after the play has started you know she's a type right. of character but she's not really the lead mm-hmm. of the play the play is about these four musicians but she comes in and she cut, right. she bursts through the door because she's being pursued by this policeman and and i didn't even know that she was going to turn up and then i walked onto the stage and was like and i don't that was it that was it for me the other time oh. it happened i i mean it's happened but the other time that that remains vividly in my head so i was brought to the uk back in 2000 for three months and three months only to do a play called clearwater Water was one of my first plays that mm. I did. Water was really my entrance into theater. There was an open audition. I was very brave and very famous. And I called the director, who was a friend of mine. And I said, I am going to come to this audition. Am I going to embarrass myself? And he said, no, come. I said, okay, I'm coming. And I went and auditioned for this fantastic part of a, a folklore character, a Trinidadian folklore character called La Bliss, the, the devil woman. She was, so, she was like, you know,
1: mm. really
2: regal and, you know, quite just sexy and all of that. And I, I went up for that <laughs> and I did not get that. But uh, but what they said, mm. they said, we have this role of the mother. Now bear in mind, I was like 24 years old, but we have this role. She is a a mother. She does three monologues in the show, speaking to her husband, because her son has, is spending the night on, she wants her son to be, um, a good Christian boy and he is getting involved in all these other things in Trinidad. And, um, and she, she kind of descends, you know, it's like she starts off really prim and proper and she kind of, and I read for that part. And that was the part that I got at 24 playing a 40 something year old woman. So (laughs) since that time I have been playing 40 something year old women, I've finally grown into my casting brackets and now people are like, we would like to see you for the grammar. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> um so so that was the part that brought me to London. Ah. And and I was doing this thing and going on, you know, so I had no real, real body and no experience really of theatre. I hadn't been taught about it. So I was just kinda learning on the fly. And we were at the Barbican and I was doing these monologues and then I had the final monologue where she's kinda drunk. She's talking. And she's having a reckoning with herself. And somebody coughed. In the audience, like if they were bored of what I was doing, I left myself on that stage. I literally—it's like Melanie LaBarry. well, I was Melanie Hudson at the time, and I had to change my name because equity. Melanie uh, uh, Hudson left yeah. the physical body, and Mother entered the body, and I gave—I think on that day the most profound performance of that speech that I had ever done because somebody told me that they were bored of me by that one solitary cough mm. in the auditorium. So yes, so that those two moments kind of spring very vividly to mind where I've experienced that.
1: Oh, so cool. Wow. Thank you for sharing those. That I have chills imagining what it was like to be there. That's mm-hmm. I want to see you do some drama next.
2: I know because that's where I started. As a matter of fact, it's like, well, so when I started actually doing theater, I started doing plays. I'd never done a musical before I moved to London. I'd never done a musical before in my life. Oh. And then, so, so, so when I like finally did music, you know, like did my first musical, which I think was fame. Um, I had to like learn how to do musicals. I was like, shit scared. I'm, you know, I like turn up on the first day. I'm so sorry. I'm swearing. Oh, that's okay. You can oh, swear. yeah okay. You're right. You're right. <laughs> And I, people were like singing and they were like looking at the music sheet and I couldn't read music. And, and they were like doing all of this thing and they like knew the songs and knew the parts already. I was like, fuck, how do these people know all of this on the right. first, on day one? And then I realized that musical theater people love to show off. So now I don't care. But- they, do. they
0: do. That is what it
1: is.
2: <laughs> but I was so frightened that I had to learn quick. How to do musicals and how to stand there and how to take up space and all of that. But boo oh boy, I was like a baby, like a baby dear. No legs. <laughs>
0: so when so when you were there, you were, you were in London, you're doing your first musical. Did did Broadway seem like a dream you had?
2: I remember maybe back in Trinidad, when I was a kid, I would dream about broadway because you know we in mm-hmm. trinidad and tobago america is the is the closest thing right. and so all our culture is coming down the caribbean chain to us in trinidad and tobago we have all the pop music we have you know the whole hip-hop we have you know i could mm-hmm. like sing all those songs and you know you're dressing it even though in the 40 degree when i say 40 degrees so what you all was that like 90 degree fahrenheit heat uh-huh. i'm there in the the you know, sweaters, the American sweaters like so stupid but, <laughs> <laughs> you know, trying to emulate these these pop stars in, in America and maybe at that time well I mean I was also going to win an Oscar you know back in Trinidad and Tobago I was like I used to stand there with my little hairbrush doing my Oscar speech in yeah. front of the mirror
0: <laughs> hey you never know so cute <laughs>
2: So uh, all of those things, you know, when you're a kid, all of those things are possible. When you become an old hardback woman like me, and you're working, and I was working on the West End, and so fortunate, so fortunate, and getting to do all these amazing things and make all these new musicals and workshop other new music. I love workshop in a musical. Oh, that's my life. I'm always in a workshop. (laughs) <laughs> in London. Forever and a day, always in a workshop. As a matter of fact, when even I knew that I was coming here after I left and Juliet, I was still workshopping new musicals. They're doing them now. <laughs> great British Bake Off musical is happening now. Oh, you know, I was yeah. workshopping all of these things and it was so great. I love working on new stuff. You never know. That might have been my next show. Might have if been. I do, have, if I yeah. coming here.
0: have you gotten asked to do any here in New no. York No.
2: What the hell? No, people don't know right. who I am. They, I'm like this, <laughs> and I am so annoyed about it. I'm like, "Hello, y- y'all don't understand. I am a great resource." <laughs> After I yes. hear this
0: podcast, they'll be like, "Okay, we're booking <laughs> Melanie. Don't worry."
2: But also, but also, I've only been here a little time, and and you know, I, I understand sure. that I'm at the bottom of the the ladder. I'm on the bottom rung of the ladder now, starting again yeah. in new. Mm. So it's kind of like. Um, yeah, I never really thought about it when I was in, in London. I probably ch- maybe had a cursory chat about it. But, I, yeah. you know, America is so full of fantastic artists that mm-hmm. I never could never compare myself to an artist, to an actor in this country. God, the way people sing over here, I'm like, I would not even try to compare myself or try to hold myself in the same regard. And so therefore it was a real surprise and a real honor to mm. be able to come here.
1: Oh, well, I'm so glad that you were, you are here. Yes, thank goodness. Yeah, cause you said you were done with the show. So was that, so did they, I don't know if you can talk about this, but was it just, they just invited you to come or they were, did they audition for the role um, or? They,
2: they were auditioning over here, I guess. They were seeing people um, and look, you talked about the casting. And the one thing that you are mm. right about the both of you is that the casting is very particular on the show Mm -hmm. they will see people and see people and see people there is only one person I believe well two two people who didn't have to go through that and that was Miriam Teakley and Lorna Courtney because when they saw Mm -hmm. them they knew they were like that's it that's Juliet book them now because that Mm -hmm. is them you know but everybody else, they have to, they look at different people and they look and they try to find and, you know, all of that. And yeah, they were, they were working on it. And so I said in September last year, that, no, the year before that I was leaving the show. And I knew that March was coming around and my agent and I had a plan. I was going to take a year off of musical theater um, because she said for all the time that I do musicals and I'm very fortunate, I go from job to job. I'm so lucky touching all the wood. I go from, you know, people ask me to do things and I'm always very busy. And she said, you know, television things come in for you and you don't, you're not often available to even tape for them. I have very mm. little experience of TV and film, very little. You know, you're ready two credits that I, you know, have one <laughs> film credit, you know, like literally no experience on screen. And I have a big old personality. But she said, I would like to take a year, my beautiful agent, Brooke, I'd like to take a year and let us try this screen thing. So I spent my time saving diligently and I was going to put myself out of work for a year. That was the plan. Mm. And then Luke Shepard comes and sits in my dressing room. Now I, <laughs> he, I saw him at the theater and he said, I'm coming up to see you. And this was like at the end of February. He said, I'm coming up to see you. And I said, sure. And he comes and he sits on my floor. I've known him forever. He was my resident director on Matilda. So I've known him
1: oh. a long time.
2: And he says, As you predicted, now I have to preface this with this story. Often when new musicals, British musicals are coming to the States, they always come back and say to me, the hardest part to cast was your part.
0: Mm.
2: And so, you know, I'm like, "Not, I don't really believe you, but they always come back and say it to me. So I said to Luke, when I knew that this was going, I said, well, just so you know, you're going to have difficulty casting my part. but good luck. You will do it. (laughs) Just look for all the people who played Mrs. Phelps and my sure. Mrs. Corey. See if they're still mm-hmm. in the business. Because, you know, so many people left the business during the pandemic. Right. Um, so I made that joke. So he came up and he sat on my floor and he said, as you predicted. And I then heard, Boo! literally, I zoned out. I didn't hear a word he said. And he said, blah, 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 blah. And we would want to know if you would like to come and I I was like smiling because I thought that he was going to because he has come into my room on occasion to say um, this person is having a difficult time with something can you make sure and look out for them because you know Uh I'm mama so I'm like sure I could do that so I thought that that's what he was coming to tell me (laughs) to look out for somebody to make sure you know make sure that they're okay and so he finished asking me and I went I'm sorry what (laughs) and he had to ask me again And we couldn't tell a soul. Mm. So I I texted my boyfriend at home. Like literally with a a picture of me with my my hands. Because we couldn't say anything in the building. Because of course, it's just him asking me. You know, these things happen. I have friends, amazing friends in London who were asked to come to Broadway. And then it never happened. So Mm. I was like, I was glad for the excitement of being asked. But I didn't believe it was going to happen. Never believed it. So Mm. I, so then I was like, I'm I'm not telling anybody. I didn't even tell my agent because I said, I'm going to wait for somebody to officially call my agent and ask the question. And if nobody never called, then she will never know that this conversation. (laughs)
1: Yeah,
2: (laughs) What a huge secret to keep. Oh my God. But then, but for me, it wasn't that because for me, you remember I told you I'm an existentialist. I expect the worst. (laughs) So for me, I was just like, oh, this is a nice thing that happens. That was the experience. Just him asking me was the experience, not the future, not what could happen in the future. The very question, the conversation Mm -hmm. that he and I had, that was it. That was so nice to just be asked, to be considered. I said, oh, this is, I am going to enjoy just this happening. And if it never happened, I will always have that conversation. Here I am in New York
1: oh that's
0: amazing i'm so (laughs) glad it happened melanie thank goodness i feel like i could listen to you talk forever you are so full of amazing stories and such great wisdom oh my god and you've had such an incredible career but sadly our chat is wrapping up and before we say goodbye we like to end on a dose of drama something to leave our listeners with could be a recommendation a rant rave drama is everything in life so it could be anything and i will kick it off today because there is something i'm feeling dramatic about the oscar nominations came out last week And a name was missing from the Best Actress nominations. Actually, a few names. But our girl, Viola Davis, was not nominated for The Woman King. And it is infuriating. I am devastated. Viola is one of those actors that should have seven Academy Awards. She should have everything. I'm pissed. It's just not right. It's not right. It's just not right. Viola needs more than just one Oscar I'm, of course, she's laid in fences, but she needs more. And that's my drama. Yeah, She's everything to me. So I'm yes. feeling dramatic about it. Dylan, do you have a dose
1: of drama today? Yes, you have a rant. I have a rave. Um, everyone online is talking about this show, The Last of Us. It's this HBO Max series. It's a pandemic sort of tale that was originally a video game. And I, Hunter and I are sucked in. We just watched the third episode. Everyone's talking about the third episode. It's this quiet gay love story in the midst of this, this pandemic. It, Melanie, have you seen it? Have you, have you watched the show? I played
2: the game and I was oh. terrified when I played the game. And so no, oh. because my partner is near, I'm waiting for my partner to come back to New York because I need somebody to hide behind because the <laughs> thing is terrifying.
1: <laughs> there are moments where I literally will look at Hunter, who's my partner. And I'll be like, is something going to jump out right now? Like, do I need to like look away? It, Cause it is. It oh, I didn't scary. know that. I, I don't know. It was scary. I thought it was kind of like quiet. Well, you know, you if, you if you watch The Walking Dead, it's sort of a similar vibe at, at times. It is so beautiful. And Murray Bartlett, Connor, who I know you love, love, and Nick Offerman, who I've only really ever seen do comedy. He plays one of these, these men in this. Oh, my God. It is so good. And we cried. Did you sob? And- <laughs> oh, of course. Of course. We're softies. I know. know? Everyone but was
0: posting about like, best, so good. best
1: gay love story
0: ever on TV. And I'm like well Uh now that
1: now the uh the bar is high here but you just that's the thing too is i felt the internet sort of overhyped it in a way that it's hard to experience something raw for the first time unless everything i always come in with a certain level of expectation now because everyone has a comment on everything but it was still absolutely incredible melanie i didn't peg you for a video gamer
2: i know you see this is the thing it's like i contain multitudes yes (laughs) yes.
1: <laughs> I love I just, Yeah, I love, I love
2: it. to do all sorts of things. I told you I was weird. <laughs> <laughs> hey, listen, it it interesting. Okay, now Melanie, do you have a dose of drama to take us home with? I do. Oh God, there are so many things that I can like talk about. So many. This has been a week, huh? Actually, I know you know, but... Oh, yeah. Yes, totally. mm -hmm. But I think um, the thing uh, that I'm going to rant about is uh, the prevalence of phones in theatres. Now, I know that in musical theatre, we have an interesting and um, (sighs) flexible, maybe... Uh, relationships with telephones and bootlegs and all of that. Now, okay, it exists. And so that is not going to, I'm not going to get into that. It exists. You know something, I've like worked on shows where, the, you know, I would be like, Y'all no, you're not supposed to be recording the show. And then my, the same kids on the show would be like, send me the bootleg of when I was on for blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, okay. Mm-hmm. So I understand that I am old. <laughs> my thing is that the people just be getting brave with it now. If you go and record it, hide now. You know <laughs> You know, people are just dead. They're pulling it out, they're holding it up in the air, they got the flash on. And um, it's becoming almost an insurmountable problem. Um, at our show in particular. Our front of house staff is extraordinary, but they can't be everywhere all at once. They can't right. be every everything, everyone, every what's the name of the movie? <laughs> That's yeah,
0: right. so yeah, <laughs> you it. it was a problem when we saw it for I, sure i have to tell you we went on a friday night the audience was a little out of control yeah. like fun fun <laughs> they were having a blast but me I, all of a sudden i realized i was like am i a stuffy theater goer here <laughs> where i was like no i want to hear betsy wolf slay some celine right now and you're all singing along like give me a moment here yeah, but I know. but then i was it's like no well, i'm glad people are having fun so it's one of those like
2: yeah, you don't you you quite don't know where to land on all of this, and I and I uh, I'm not going to la- I'm going to like float gently above the, all the mm. issues of the, of the, of the audience participation on the show because I understand that also Max Martin has written the soundtrack to our lives, and people they get this, and and so you know they feel compelled to enjoy it in a yes in a noisy <laughs> in a vocal way, um, but I'm just like yeah, it to me it's the technology. And I understand that the world is about technology now. It right. It is all of that. I, I kind of, I li- and I like to be in it. Like my, my social media is active, you know. I, it's not like if I shy away from it and I've, I've deleted the app. So, you know, I don't do none of that. I have no platform in that. I, you know, I have no, it's not curated. I'm on my social media with my hair uncombed and no makeup. More times than really I should be. But and in my pajamas, more times than re- my TikTok is like a mess, right? Oh, I love but, that. but it is as you know, as as you said, Dylan, it's my authentic self and, and my TikTok and all my social media is really to make the young people I work with laugh. You know. <laughs> if other people follow along, sure. But it's not curated, it's not beautiful, it's not there is no theme, there is no content. where it's just me mm-hmm. being a big old fool. Right. So I understand that the world that we live in is about technology and people now experience things through the lens. But I just, it's just so much of it. It's so much of it. And it it's now impacting how other people enjoy it. So if you mm-hmm. want to, enjoy, if you want to film, hide, hide it. If I don't see it, what the, we have a saying, what the eye don't see, the heart don't grieve. So if Ooh. I can't see you, then I will never complain about you. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and then young people can get their bootlegs and do whatever. Because I understand, too, the importance of bootlegs and, you know, people sharing things and for other people who may not be able to right. afford the hundreds of dollars that the theater th- tickets cost. Right. I get it. I understand. We it, we have always had that. Piracy has been a thing forever. <laughs> but, um, but, yeah, I just, I'm like, we, when you becoming so brazen about it that you are now affecting how other people enjoy the show and affecting when I could see it, and now I am. You have broken my fourth wall and right. broken my concentration because you and your flash are just staring me in the face. I'm like, come on, man. I mean, it's such an old person drama, but that is my drama.
1: No, I, I respect it. I, I need people to just be present and enjoy it. Someone else will bootleg it for you. You know, you can just enjoy it for yourself and. That's the beauty of live theater. You know, I recorded things at concerts before, you know, obviously a little bit different. I never go back and watch the video. You know, just enjoy it when it's happening, soak it all in. We've got the cast recording otherwise, you know. That's and to me, that's your your piece that you're allowed to take home and hopefully buy and support. And we've got know. you on two versions of it. I know.
2: I know. Well, I cannot believe my Trinidadian look that I get to do. That. <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe it. I'm going to take, take that to the grave, you know. <laughs> okay.
1: You're on a couple of cast recordings. I'm
2: on a few. Yeah. yeah. I'm on a few of them. And that's been nice. But I've never been on a original London cast recording and an original Broadway cast recording before. This is cool. Yes.
1: <laughs> yeah. I feel like very few, very few have. That's really amazing to think about. Um, well, Melanie, you are everything I thought you were going to be and more. Thank you for sharing your wisdom your energy, your kindness, it has made Connor and nice I say, I can just tell that this has just been so special to him as much as it has been. For oh, me. yes. So you.
0: We love you. You're amazing.
2: Well, I adore the both of you and I thank you all so much for just, you know, having me on here and just thinking that I was cool enough to come and talk to you all. Cause you all got some cool people on your thing, you know?
1: <laughs> oh, <laughs> well, you're, you're, one, you're of one of them. I, so
2: I'm like, woo! I've joined some ranks here. I feel super cool now.
1: We <laughs> have had, had, had Kiala as well. She was our uh, our one-year anniversary guest. Yeah, she was amazing. I well. love
2: her with my whole oh, heart. Yeah. She's like my person. And she has a
1: British accent now, you know.
2: Well, she yeah, she's kind of always had... I find it so weird. Like when I find it weird when I hear Kiala speaking in an American accent. <laughs> okay, okay. Okay. <laughs> I only know Keala speaking in a British accent. So I'm like, oh. when when she does like the American thing, I'm like, oh, what are you doing?
0: <laughs> oh, that's, <laughs> oh, that's funny. Fun. <laughs> Melanie, everyone needs to follow you online. You're on TikTok, Instagram, are you on Twitter?
2: I am on Twitter and they all have the same name. Great. It's either lack of imagination or I'm really smart. Yes. No,
1: it's branding. That's good branding Consistency. Right yeah.
2: <laughs> so yeah, come follow. If you want to see me like with no makeup and with my hair a mess, um yeah come follow it's really i mean maybe not because it's just like nonsense it's mostly nonsense but if you like nonsense from old people on social media sure come follow (laughs) Uh,
1: well thanks again for your time you're amazing yes thank you so much and while everyone's following melanie of course follow us we're at the drama podcast connor is at connor mcdowell i am at dylan mcdowell everyone needs to go see Anne Juliet if you can if not you have two cast recordings to choose from as we just mentioned and connor I will see you next time. Drama!